whole thing right there. People talking, people sharing with each other. Seriously, my name's Talks. It's hard for me to break that up. I like to see people talk. My name's Doug Talks. I'm an adventurist, and I've lived an amazing life. The first time those words came out of my mouth, I was invited to meet with a group of authors, and we were going around sharing our name and something about us. And I blurted out, how many of you know I never do that? I blurted out, my name's Doug Talks, and I have lived an amazing life. I had a big smile on my face, and I went, why did I say that? In the back of my head, I thought, why did I just say that? And then the next thought was, because it's true. We're in a series right now that's called Dare to Live. Did I get that right? Yes. Daring to Live. Have you ever been in a situation, I'm sure you have, where somebody dared you to do something? How does, what does that have to do with this series we're in? Why do we need to dare people to live life? One of the reasons is because somebody's taught you and me how to live life. Two primary sources where that comes from outside of God. The people that have been in our life and ourselves as we have encountered circumstances throughout our lives. Somebody has taught you how to live your life. And I'm here today, I'm not here today to teach you how to live your life, but I'm going to teach you and encourage you and challenge you to think about the decisions that you've made about how you're living the life you're living. And so because I chose this topic of adventure, because I believe God raises kids that love adventure. Anybody hear that? I believe that God does not raise children that are afraid to step out and take risks. There's a woman named Brene Brown. She studied shame. Some of you have heard of her. I always see people look around when she's mentioned in the church because certain people know she is. I have studied risk since I was in my early 20s. And I've come to believe that adventure happens because we risk. It doesn't happen because we play it safe. It doesn't happen because we're committed to comfort. It's okay to be safe in the context of risk. I'm a rock climber. I know what that means. I've almost died twice whitewater rafting, once rock climbing, and several other times when I was driving my car. <laughs> so uh, it's, it, when I get in my car, it's a risk. I mean, if I tried to convince you I was a good driver, you would say, don't even preach today, Doug. It's just, just give it up. So I want to ask you these three critical questions I'm not going to answer them right now. I'm going to let the, the message answer these questions, but they're three critical questions. Why do we have to dare people to live? It's like when you went, if you ever went swimming and you had a river and you were jumping off rocks, there's always somebody who goes, I dare you to go off that one up there. I dare you to jump off the higher one. That's where life is. It's on the higher levels. So why do we have to dare each other to do that? The next one is why do we have to define what it means to live life, even define it, what it means to live a life of adventure? So that's my heart is to define it, not to tell you how to do it, but to help define what it means to live a life of adventure. Because once again, I believe the spirit of adventure is the spirit of God. I don't separate them out. God, have you ever noticed God's people are kind of crazy? 
they do crazy things, they get in trouble. It's because they follow, we follow a man who was unpredictable and radical and crazy. Jesus Christ is a tornado. We don't run into Jesus Christ because he's going to get everything in order in our lives and bless us and give us prosperity and all those other things. Well, some, maybe some of us do. But Jesus is unpredictable. He is the wild one that turns us on and inspires us. The third question is, who defined life for you? Just, and that's one I want you to think about. Who are the people in your life that have really inspired you and helped you to, de to define how to live life? Because we all have those people in our lives. Some of them are gone now, but we have had people in our lives that have given us messages on how to live the lives that we live. So we've all been taught. And when you teach yourself how to live life, when you teach yourself the difference between seeking safety and seeking adventure, what do you tell yourself? Adventure. So I, I, I need to define that for the sake of the message. When I talk about adventure, I'm talking about the fact that the greatest adventures in life happen after we trust God with the outcome. The greatest adventures in life don't happen, start to back away from us when we have to get all the answers, we get all our ducks in order. And I'm as much that guy as you are. I'm as much that person as you. As committed as I am to adventure, you can ask people that know me. I'm one of those people, I am a Thomas. I, I need God to tell me three times and thank God he, always, he pretty much does. And as he tells me to do things, as he calls me, and I'm talking about, he may, he may be just calling me to go sit and talk to somebody in a coffee shop and share and talk to them and see if I, I can find an opportunity to pray with them. He, it, it, it could be, he may be calling me to forgive somebody that's offended me. All those I put in the category of adventure. So the greatest adventures in life when I'm sitting there and I'm trying to decide, should I forgive this person who's offended me? That's an adventure because it requires trust from God. It requires me to trust God with that, with the outcome of that. And the greatest adventures in life are, are not those things which we cannot control. When we attempt to control the things that we cannot control, we squeeze adventure out of our lives. Now watch, this is a tricky statement. Can I say it again? When we attempt to control the things that we cannot control, we squeeze adventure out of our lives. Now, having said that, I'll tell you, it's okay to control stuff. I know you got kids and diapers and some of you have jobs. You got it's okay to control things. That's the dance of adventure, knowing when to control and when not to control. So, trying to control things that we cannot control squeezes adventure out of our lives. Trying to control the things that we can control can squeeze the adventure out of our lives too. I live my life based, one of the because one of my core principles for life is to live a life of adventure. So I lit, one of the principles that drives that is I make plans and pray that God interrupts them. Some of us are not comfortable with that. I made plans not too long, uh, a couple of years ago. I go down to Pismo Beach. We go down and camp on the sands. 
Well, you don't camp on sand and you gotta be a little flexible when you're camping on the sand right on the water because you never know when the wind's gonna come in. But we go down there with some buddies. Went to Edna Valley. Anybody ever been to Edna Valley? Beautiful valley, beautiful wine valley right near Pismo Beach, just east of there. Went with three or four guys and we, our, our tradition is to go sit on the grass at the Edna Valley Winery and drink $60 bottles of wine. I have rich friends because I can't afford that. <laughs> anyway, and uh, so, and one day we're there and a lot of people gather and they start sitting on this lawn and all of a sudden we're talking to this uh, a group of college kids from San Luis Obispo pull up and they're dressed to the nines. We're dressed like a bunch of guys camping on the beach. One of us is 40, one of us is 60, and one of us is 80-something. So we're covering the generations. And these college kids pull up, and they're beautiful. Remember how, how you looked in college? where <laughs> They were just really good-looking kids. We start talking to this one guy. All of a sudden, we're praying for this guy, and he's weeping. And then his friends start coming over. His girl, first, his girlfriend comes over. First, she goes, I've been trying to tell you. She kind of looks at him like that. He's sitting there crying, tears flowing out. We're sharing the Lord with him, praying for him. And then another guy says, getting prayed for, huh, Jake? Yells out of the group. By the end of that day, we had prayed for eight people, and the Spirit of God fell on people. I thought we were having a Billy Graham crusade. That's more like Benny Hinn, maybe. But anyway, we're having a crusade. So I wasn't planning to do that. And it's so awesome when we know that we make plans, but we pray that God would interrupt those plans. And when he does, we let him do it. So I was struggling over whether to share this message because I rarely just take this topic and preach on it and speak on it. I usually throw it in when I'm speaking. I mean, even when I'm talking about healing a wounded heart, I talk about this. It's hard to heal a wounded heart because part of, one of the evidences of healing a wounded heart is a spirit of adventure and people that are willing to risk again, risk being rejected and risk being wounded. That's one of the ways you know somebody's being healed. So I usually throw it in, and it's kind of a surprise, but here I am talking about adventure. And I was struggling back and forth on it, and we were having Chinese food the other day, and my wife, Sherry, who's right here with me, one of my constant reminders that, Doug, this is what you believe in when I start getting scared. Honey, don't you remember? One of your core values is to live a life of adventure. So we were having Chinese food together, and she says, here, I think I found your fortune cookie. We were opening our fortune cookies. And it says, life to you is a daring adventure. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll do this message. <laughs> the Sierra Sage says, God, God's spirit is not out to tame us. He's out to unleash us. God designed us to live on the edge where the risks are greater. Once his presence fills us, we will never be content with the illusion of comfort and safety, which only lead to boredom and depression. Faith is where we are called to live, and faith is where we come alive. So I was standing in the San Francisco airport at four in the morning uh, a few years ago, and I'm leaning against the post, have you ever seen somebody sleep standing up? So I'm leaning against this post. I'm getting, I'm all alone. Sherry's not there. I don't have my guide with me. And leaning against this post, and I feel somebody pinch my rear end. And I, of course, went, whoo! 
You know, like, well, I'm in San Francisco at the airport. Why is somebody grabbing me in the butt? And I turn around, and my friend Sam Huddleston is standing there with a big smile on his face. And of course, I gave him a hug. And then I said, now back off. And uh, <laughs> so that's called a goose. Have you ever heard that term before? That's what you could, that, when you do that to somebody, now this is more a guy thing, I'll admit it. We don't, guys don't go around goosing women, okay? It, it's not a, it's me too, no, no. Don't tell Pastor Stu, Doug told us to go goose women. Women, ladies, don't goose the men either, unless it's your husband. Uh, we, you can do that. We're, we're good with that. Anyway, uh, that, that was a phrase that came about when, when I was in college. You know, you goose somebody. And we, it, be, it became, we sort of, it became this thing where part of our, our dialogue was, man, we need to goose that guy. He's just, he needs some, something. We need to get him fired up. Or we need, it was him usually. We need to get them fired up. And so we started this idea of, a goose breaks you out of this hazy state and sort of wakes you up in the moment and gets you thinking about some things so that maybe you'll get a nudge or a swift kick in the right direction again. So I'm here today to goose you. I want all the guys to stand up. No. <laughs> it doesn't work if they know you're going to do it to them. And what I want to do first is I want to do a scouting report. Have you ever done a scouting report before? If you, you play in different sports and you do a scouting report, uh, you're, you may not know this, but your coaches go and they videotape the team you're playing next week and they watch all the things they do because they want to figure out why they're so awesome so you can undo their awesomeness and beat them. So we're going to do a scouting report on these three guys. One of my favorite stories in the Bible of, uh, they're known as three, three, uh, David's three mighty men. You could call them three men on a hill, three men in a, in a water urn. Remember that movie, Three Men and a Baby? Yeah. No, okay, wrong crowd. Okay. So we're going to look at uh, 2 Samuel. And it's in a time of war. David is the king. David's running things. And let me just start with verse 14. It's in your U version. It's also in the notes, and uh, if you have U version, but it's also in the, the notes that we have for the events for Disciples Church. It says David was sitting in the stronghold at the time, and a Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. Now picture this: they're actually up on a hill, they're looking down on Bethlehem, and the Philistine troops are all—they have—they're all aligned down there. He's looking down the city of Bethlehem. And David remarked longingly to his men. He said, oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. So the three, it just jumps to the next scene, right? Imagine this, this was a movie. You'd be going, what, what, what happened there? So the three broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well by the gate of Bethlehem, and brought it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. And then David says, The Lord forbid that I should drink this, he exclaimed. This water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked, you can circle that, their lives to bring it to me. So David did not drink it. These were the examples and the exploits of the three men. He was so moved by their willingness to risk that he would not even drink the water and he poured it out as a drink offering unto the Lord. 
So I, in my scouting, so I've got a scouting report here, and I'd like to go over some of the tendencies because this story is very similar to a lot of the stories in the Bible. I would like to go over with you some of the observations of, as I scouted these three men that I noticed in this story. And the first one is that what they went to get, when they went to get that water, it was controlled by somebody else. It was occupied is the word it's used in the passage. It was occupied by somebody else. It means that it belonged to them, but they had to fight to get what already belonged to them. That's a, that's a principle of spiritual warfare. It's a principle of living in a world that is occupied by a foreign dark force. And in order to live the kind of adventure that God calls us to, we must be aware that this world that we live in is occupied by somebody else. And our job is to take it back. And I'm not talking in huge, big, epic battles. I'm talking about, for some of us, it's just taking back what belongs to us. It may be getting rid of the fear to say no to your teenager who's acting out and getting into trouble. It may be saying no to that fear and saying yes to courage. In some form, we've got to say no to the fear that prevents us from taking back the land that belongs to us through our inheritance through Jesus Christ. And that, that as you look down that hill with those three men, you see a bunch of Philistines lined up down there and the Bethlehem, the city of David, is occupied. And those three guys are sitting there and here's what I notice. First thing I know is probably the most important thing is where they were hanging out. David was in a cave. They were sitting at the entrance of the cave. You can go through the Bible and you will find people that sat at the entrance place. Joshua sat at the entrance of the tent of meeting where Moses would go in and speak with God. The disciples sat in the garden while Jesus talked to God. You can find stories of men and women who sat at the entrance point. Even an empty tomb as the women went to an empty tomb and they just wanted to be there and sit at the entrance place. Everybody who wants adventure in their life has to have a place that's an entrance place. It's a portal. It's a place where we go and we go alone. And we are willing to sit there and take our time and wait to hear a whisper from the heart of God. Oh, that I could have a drink of that water. David didn't command them to do that. They heard the heart of God. They heard the heart of their king. And something stirred up in them. Now there were three guys on that hill. And I believe one of them had the brainy idea of going and getting the water. Now, all three of them are special because there are many places in the Bible where it says David's mighty men. It talks about the 20, the 19. It talks about all these stories, these exploits of the mighty men of David. But there's this one place where the, now we're looking at three guys. That's pretty special to be part of those three. And even among those three, there was probably one guy, because I've been hanging out with these three guys so many times in my life, and it's usually one guy who has the idea, come on, I think we need to go break that fight up over there. We're, we, were stand, we were down in Westwood, California, opening night of Rocky, and my brother goes, we need to go break up that fight. And I'm like, who are you talking to, Willis? <laughs> I mean, but I went because he, he inspired me to do it. I, every step, my heart was pounding. Every step across that street, my heart was pounding. We got in the middle of that fight, 
And my brother spoke the word of the Lord to this one guy. I was about ready to pound on a guy. He said, be a man. Stand up and be a man. And that, the Spirit of God just touched that guy's heart. And he changed completely. And he started being nice to the guy he was going to beat up. And everybody standing around is probably going, what just happened right there? So the people we keep time with will either inspire us towards fear or inspire us towards courage. So we need to take an account of that. And that's what I noticed with these three guys is maybe one of them, maybe all three in chorus said, let's go get the king some water. And they did. The second thing is that uh, risky action is always required anytime we get a nudge from God. It may be not be huge. It may not be a bunch of people lined up. Imagine three swords. Imagine you're those guys down there, those Philistines. And you're down there guarding that well, and you look up the hill, and three wild Jewish warriors, Israeli warriors, are running down the hill at you, and there's like a hundred of you. And you're, what goes through your mind? Probably, probably scared them a little bit. There's three guys coming down the hill, and they're, they're coming right at us with their swords, and one of them's got a, an urn in his hand. A pitcher. What's he doing with that pitcher? You going to hit one of us? And then they go down, they're fighting over that well, and all of a sudden one of them runs over, he's going, the other two are going, get the water, and they're fighting with the swords, and, and they're, the guys are probably going, what, 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 what's with the water? And he runs over and he dips in, he gets the water out of the well. And then, then he gets the water, and then they run away. That's all they wanted was water. <laughs> Let me give you a, uh, let me give you this passage from Hebrews. This is in the middle of that famous faith passage where Hebrews is talking about all these amazing men and women of faith. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguishes our ancestors and sets them apart from the crowd. So one of the things that once you become distinguished as a person of adventure and a person of faith, your exploits will be told in other places. Just like we're talking about these three guys today. People will tell stories about you that will inspire other people to faith. It's one of the ways we reproduce ourselves in this world. When they do surveys of people like me that are getting old and getting near the end of their lives, let's pause for a moment. When, when, they, tell, when they do these surveys, <laughs> when they do these surveys about people like me, and they're getting older, I mean, even older than me, I know it's hard to imagine, but when, when they do these surveys, one of the things that's on, that shows up on every survey is when they ask the question, what would you do differently in your life? And one of the things on every one of them is, I would have taken more chances. Another one is, I would have invested more in the relationships of the people in my, in my life. Because I have an advantage. Some of us have an advantage. I said I've lived a life of adventure. Some of us have an advantage because we, we have either a life full of regrets or a life full of adventures and regrets. It's kind of nice to have both. I mean, the regrets aren't great, but I, regrets without adventure, it's, a tough, it's tough to get up every day. So I want to give you these three very important definitions. The first one is the word adventure. 
daring and exciting activity calling for enterprise and enthusiasm. Risk, a situation involving exposure to anger. Faith, did I say that right? Oh, danger, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard for me to see up here. It's just an adventure trying to read with my eyes. Um, Faith is uh, is the connecting power into the spiritual realm, kind of like that, which links us with God and makes him become a tangible reality. One of the reasons so many people are living a religious Christian life and they're just trying to follow all the rules is because the enemy of religion is faith. When we trust, because one of the ways you define faith is with the word trust. When we trust God, we know, we all know what we're supposed to do. And when we trust God and do it, he shows up and he becomes real and he becomes tangible. Instead of just an idea and rules to follow. A.W. Tozer, one of my heroes from college days, he wrote a couple of books. One was called uh, Pursuit of uh, God and the Knowledge of the Holy. Man, if you were a young 20, young 20 college kid, Christian kid in the 70s, you were just lapping at the well of A.W. Tozer. And he was an old guy. Thank you, Jesus. He said, I want the presence of God himself or I don't want anything at all to do with religion. You would never get me interested in the old maid's social club with a little bit of Christianity thrown in to give it respectability. I want all that God has or I don't want anything. So I want to talk to you about the why in the road. When you think of the why in the road, I always think of that poem by Robert Service. You know, I came to a why in the road or fork in the road. Fork, why, they both look very similar. It's just a two-pronged fork. I came to a why in the road, a fork in the road. One of the paths was well-traveled. One of them was very, very little travel. And he... It's a a classic, famous poem. And he says, I chose the one that was less traveled and it's made all the difference in my life. Those are the kind of poems that stir up people of adventure. Those are the kind of poems that, that attract us and draw us into them. So I want you to think of that why in the road. And there's three places where you and I, every day of our lives and throughout our lives, we come to whys in the road consistently over and over and over again. And the first place we hit that why, that's the most common, is we hit a why in the road moment by moment throughout our lives. Tomorrow, even today, you'll have several moments in your life, in your heart, where you'll have an opportunity to choose the, the road well-traveled or the road less-traveled. And I'm going to give it a different name. You'll choose the, the path or the fork that goes in the direction of comfort and false security, or you'll choose the path that goes in the direction of trusting God and having faith in Him and letting, and him, letting him work out the, the details. Now remember that as you come through that to that why, it could be 100 times tomorrow, or it could be 20 times. But you, if you're not conscious of it, what happens is when we are left to our own devices, we tend to lean in the direction of fear and safety and security, as opposed to risk 
and trust and adventure. By nature, that's the way we lean because our ancestors grew up in caves and all they were worried about was not being eaten from day to day. So it's still in us. It's in our DNA. It's in our brains. It's in us. But faith comes and God says, I want you to think about, I want you to be more mindful when you come to these whys in your road. And I want you to ask yourself the question, is God nudging me to go this other direction? The next place is, how will I live in each season? You're in a season right now. You're in a time in your life, you've made a decision about what to do in this season of your life. It's a little more complicated from moment to moment. But we all live through seasons. Some seasons are not meant to be full of a lot of activity and a lot of crazy stuff. Some seasons are meant to be times of reflection, times of questioning, times of struggling with doubts we have with God. There are seasons that are meant to be that way. There are other seasons where we can barely keep up with what God is doing. And it's important to know that we live seasonal lives because when it slows down, that really bothers some of us. When it slows down and we don't see God doing as much, we don't see as many blessings and we maybe see more struggles, we begin to question whether God is there, whether God is, we can trust God. But I'm giving you the picture because sometimes that's where we learn our deepest levels of trust is what I used to call the in-between time when we're not seeing all that. Well, we need to go sit at the entrance place and sit close to the king and just see what it is that's in his heart. Sometimes it's not about anything he wants you to do. He just wants you to know his heart. And then the third place, why in the road, it has to do with what this message is about today. And that is how will I choose to live my life? Not what am I going to do with my life, but what kind of a life do I want to live? Am I going to be counted among the other warriors that were, I always have this picture in my mind, these guys sitting by the entryway and all these other guys are like over roasting hot dogs. Now that's not kosher, but I mean, that's just the picture in my mind. They're over roasting hot dogs, you know, having a good time. These guys over here sitting by the entryway. How will I choose to live my life? So I'm going to give you a suggestion that you do this. I'm going to give you a very practical suggestion. And if you haven't ever done anything like this, it's going to rock your world. We used to do this on our wilderness courses. And we would have people make a list where they would finish the statement, have you ever dared to? And just write down the things that you've done in your life. Big, little, small, amazing the things that you dared to do and you were anxious to do, but you did it anyway. And I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that show. And, not, and there's all kinds of things that show up on there. Sometimes it's things like, I dared to slow down and sit with my friend on a rock and watch a sunset and just not talk to each other. Sometimes it's things like that. Sometimes it's, I walked into a convenience store because I noticed the guy, there was a car out there and he had a bunch of spiritual books on his, about all kinds of weird stuff and on his dashboard. And I went in and I just wanted to, hey, I wanted to talk to him about it. And he was checking people out and I talked to him for 15 minutes while he was checking people out. I let him share his testimony of new age. And then I said, can I tell you what happened to me? And he goes, yeah. And I just shared how I came to the Lord. And you could feel God's tangible presence in that moment. His heart softened and you could feel that in the moment and he's checking people out the whole time during the conversation. It could be whatever. 
but it's making a list of things. Have you ever dared to? How many of you are going to do that? Come on, everybody put your hand up. Come on, Jay. Come on, Felcher. So I want to close with this. I want the band to come up. I want to close with, I, want to, I like to honor people, and I want to honor somebody. Uh, I'm part of a life group, and talk about a bunch of weird people. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm in it, so. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I go to the Murakami life group. Hey, there's people here that aren't going to life groups because they're afraid to go. You're, that's an adventure for some people. Hey, if you're afraid of it and you do it, you're going to have an adventure. Are you getting my message here? So if you're going to have an adventure. God's going to show up in some way in your life. Uh, I'm not saying everything goes smooth every time, but you're going to trust God. He's going he's to be there for you. So there's a young lady in our life group some of you probably don't even know her in this small church. Her name's Amanda, and she works in the sound booth. She's just quiet, little, quiet person, and she was in our life group, and somebody mentions to me one day, you know, Amanda used to work in the inner city in Oakland. I was like, what? She did what? That quiet, sweet little person was a, we used to call them street workers. No, I don't mean, a, I, I used the wrong word. So we call them street workers. <laughs> Not that kind. <laughs> uh, that's what we call them uh, back in the 70s. People that were called to the inner city to do ministry. And I heard that. And she became an instant hero of mine. And I walked in one Sunday morning. I said, hey, is that true that you did that? And she said, yeah. And I said, you are one of my heroes. Because I love being around people that use their faith and trust God. It's okay if your knees are shaking. It's okay if it's difficult for you. But the heart of the Spirit of God, God is raising risk takers. God's kids are risk takers. God's kids are adventure seekers. It's the Spirit of God in us. If we go against that in us, and I've done it, we start to wither. We start to fade. We start to lose our sharpness. I know what that's like. I want to pray with you and just ask the Lord what, what he has for you because right now, this could be a moment of adventure for you. Uh, when we come to recognize that we are conduits of the Spirit of God, we are vessels, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are tabernacles. The tabernacle was the temple they could pack up and move around. We are tabernacles of the presence of God. And everywhere we go, we have an opportunity to bring God's presence into a situation. So tonight, when we show up, hopefully some of you will show up tonight and this week that you weren't planning on doing it. God's been speaking to some people about showing up for heart. And you've just intellectualized it away or you feel uncomfortable around homeless people. But if, as we show up this week, if we're going to have an adventure, let's not just drop the food off and leave. Let's hang around and talk to people. Let's, find other, let's hear their life stories. They might want to hear your life story. So let's do that this week. But I want to pray with you right now and ask the Lord to uh, what it is he wants to say to you. As we sit and take a moment at the entranceway, at the portal, 
to where the king might want to share his heart with you. And Lord, what would it be? What would it be for us? What would you speak to us today? There are some people here, this has been exactly what you needed. You have wandered away from the adventurous heart of God and you are happy you heard this message today. And if that's you, I want to recommend to you that you go, uh, I want the prayer team to get up right now and just do get to your position. I just want to encourage you to go to one of these prayer team people and just say, you know what? I'm getting back in the race. I'm tired of sitting in the stands. I am getting back in the race. But just let somebody know. That's and, and then I want to ask the prayer, as the prayer team members, just pray for and agree with them for that. Uh, if you are here today and you feel like, you know, this is resonating with you, go tell a prayer team person or tell somebody sitting next to you. Don't, don't let this go. Because I believe this has something to do with not just you and me, it has something to do with this church. Because when people come to Disciples Church, I want them to walk through that door and, and sense a spirit of adventure. I want to be a part of something like that. And I want them to sense that. And sometimes they do, but I want them to sense it every time they walk in, whether it's to Sunday morning, whether it's to a life group or wherever, that there's something in people, that these people are a little off kilter, but it's because they love deeper, they listen deeper, and they go farther than the rest of the people around us. Can I get an amen on that? So let's pray. Let's, let me finish that final prayer. If you have anything else you need prayer for, feel free to do that. And then we're going to sing this last song. Lord, I, we invite you to speak to us from out of the cave, to speak to us, Lord, from out of the tent. Speak to us, Lord Jesus, from out of that empty tomb. Speak to us, Lord God, from that rock that Jesus knelt at. Speak to us, Lord God. What is it you want us to know today? in this moment. We open our hearts to hear. We open our ears to hear what your spirit has to say to us.